Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Conversations on life, style, beauty, and relationships. It's the Velvet's Edge podcast with Kelly Henderson. Okay, so you are a counterterrorism professional. Even saying that title is difficult for me. But you're turned career, career coach, spokesperson, and author of best-selling book, U-Turn, Get Unstuck, Discover Your Direction, and Design Your Dream Career. And I was just telling you that I have been reading your book for the last week and a half, and I'm still not finished because I'm taking so much soul searching are really challenging me to do some soul searching about my path at this moment. And I feel like you really kind of nail what a lot of people are probably going through with this pandemic. I know a lot of my friends have just kind of hit this wall where they're like, am I doing the right thing with my life? Am I living my purpose? Um, So anyway, the book is amazing. And I just want to talk a lot about that, but kind of also give your story to the listeners because I, it was super helpful to me to hear about a person rising to the top, falling, and then picking yeah. themselves back up. So let's just start here. I know you found yourself at a really early age uh, in a pretty prominent job, like we just said. Mm-hmm. So how did you get there? Yeah. I mean, I feel like so many people, I went to the career services office for those who are listening who went to school and And whether you went to college or not, it's like we all have this moment of like, what are we supposed to commit to? And it's so interesting because I feel like as a society, what we're doing to each other is the equivalent of whoever your first crush is, marry them. That's what we're doing in in our careers. Like whatever you pick first, you better grow it and you better climb a ladder and, and don't lose. There's this whole concept of losing time. But I feel like what we fail to realize is that you're losing time when you're seemingly stepping forward in your life. And yet you're actually stepping backwards, whether you're marrying the wrong person or you're committing and growing a career that you don't even want. It's like on the surface, we look like we are moving forward. And yet at some point, who we are is always going to win. It's always going to shine through and it's always going to demand us to listen to the truth. And so for me, I was kind of lost and 
you know, I had some interests, but I didn't really understand. And I grew up in the era, like everybody did, of follow your passion. And there's this really weird tool called the Google Ngram. And if you go in Google, basically what it does is you can type in a phrase and it lets you know how ingrained it is in society based on how ingrained it is in Google. So if you type in follow your passion from the 80s up into the millennium, you see it skyrocket, meaning that mentions of it on Google become very present and it becomes a part of culture. And so I grew up in that time and I just thought to myself, like, I'm passionate about food and fashion and movies and politics. Like, how am I supposed to make sense of all of this? So right. I, I went to the career services woman and was like, what do I, what do, I do with my life? And how do, what do I major in? And she said all of the three-worded tirades, you know, like, follow your passion, do what <laughs> you love, you know? Yeah. And I was, I just left the office more lost than I came in. And I, I committed to three majors, not because I was an overachiever, but because I was having commitment issues of like what to even commit my life to. I was reading so into it. And, you know, I grew up in a house where the news was always on. And from a young age, my dad was always fighting with my uncles about politics every Sunday for Sunday dinner. So for me, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to study politics because I'm, I'm around it. I'm interested in it. I love culture. I'm really good at learning languages. I learned Spanish when I was young. Um, in seventh grade, I started learning French and the professor asked me or the teacher asked me, like, have you learned this language before? Like, why are you so fast at this? And that was what actually got me spiritually believing in past lives because I spoke a language that didn't make sense for wow. me to know. Yeah. And so, you know, I've had all these experiences. And yet when I went to college, I just kind of committed to a path and held on to a plan for the sake of it. Right. Did everything to get to where I wanted to go. You know, my family was on the East Coast during 9-11. And so that also really affected me, my decision to work in national security. And once I got the fancy degrees and learned the languages, it was the recession. And I just kind of ran off the cliff of the recession and slept on my parents' couch for months and ended up becoming the most overqualified, underpaid administrative assistant with, you know, master's degrees and foreign language skills. And I mean, it's not to say it's not a great job. I think for some people, it's the perfect job. But for me, I wanted to do something with politics. And I, I ended up buying into the myth that I had to take what I could get. And so I started at an ad agency and after about six months, I just remember going to UCLA at night, taking Arabic classes and thinking like something, there has to be something better. And I know that the human experience is really two dynamics often. It's fear of the unknown mm -hmm. and misery in your current situation. And I think the way people work is more often than not, we won't go into the fear of the unknown unless we are so miserable in mm -hmm. our situation that we don't care anymore how the unknown feels. And we don't seem to be a species that works when we feel lukewarm. Like that's not right. when we make a change. So I was miserable. I emailed my university. I said, do you have a list of alumni who've moved to DC? They sent me 2000 names and emails. And I worked my way through that list for I think it was six months in my job. I called, I cold called and cold emailed every single person. And you can only imagine what cold networking is like with random people who work in intelligence. Like it's a whole nother <laughs> layer of, they don't want you to call. Them. Right. They're like, do not contact me, please. 
Yeah. And I just sounded like this chaotic, like college graduate, like I'm, I'm Ashley and I'm in my early twenties and I graduated from the same school as you. And can you help me? And I like a lot of people hung up. Yeah. But some people didn't. And I ended up out of that 2000 people, maybe getting like 80 to a hundred of them who helped me. And I moved to DC. I got multiple job offers through networking and talking to people. I learned how to talk about myself after really not succeeding at it and falling on my face. And on the periphery of my way into national security, I learned how to be a good job seeker. Mm. And friends started asking me once I accepted my position, running a program for the Pentagon, which was insane after being an admin assistant at making minimum wage. So I tripled my salary. I got this opportunity. I I networked with a lot of people who helped me. And on the sidelines, friends were saying, how did you get all these job offers? And later that turned into an online business with courses, a podcast, my book, my practice, and my, my work as a spokesperson. And I think what I really learned during that time is when you follow something that feels right, what's going to happen is on the periphery of it or even right in front of it you're going to figure out what's best for you. You're going to figure out what's truly right for you. And I mean, it sounds crazy to think I discovered being a career coach. Like that was the weirdest thing to me back in the day. Like what, I didn't even know what a career coach was, you know, but I'm so grateful for the journey. And if anything, it taught me to trust your journey, trust what's on the sideline, trust what's in front of you, trust it all. I love that about the sideline because, you know, there's a couple of points you made that I really want to hit on right now, but the sidelines is so interesting because we get so laser focused, right? On the, the big pieces or the big job or the direction we think we're supposed to be going. And I think exactly like what you said, what you're learning in the meantime is often what ends up helping you excel in the future. Yeah. I've always thought it was so bizarre though, that at the age of 18, we're supposed to decide what we're going to do for the rest of our lives, right? Like I didn't even have a clue what I was good at or any sort of skill set. So when you got to DC and you were working in counterterrorism, I mean, what are some of the obstacles that you started to bump up against in that position? Yeah. I mean, I open up my book. Well, first of all, just on the note of, you know, being 18, it's like the thing I've learned about clarity is that it comes from engagement. You, yeah. you can't think your way there. And you know, it's, it's like what Albert Einstein said, that you have to do something new to be somewhere new. And, and if we have the same level of thinking, we're going to create the same level of results. And so it's, it's interesting because there's so many people who come to me and say they need clarity. And when I think about the workforce, the majority of the workforce, I think it's around 70 to 80% at any given time, they're not engaged in their job and they're looking for a new job. Mm. And what I really believe about that group is that they're not looking for a new job. They're looking for clarity. They're not job hunting, they're clarity hunting. They're thinking to themselves, is the next thing going to feel more right? Mm. And so, you know, my book opens up in my first day at the Pentagon. And I was a defense contractor. So I worked for a private company who got this huge government contract. And the only difference between me and a government employee was the color of my badge. Uh, Otherwise I was really filling a temporary government role, temporary meaning it could be five to 10 year role. And I remember walking in and this guy kind of walking down the hall and I was, I was assigned to a program on Afghanistan and it was when U.S. troops were in Afghanistan, we were working with NATO to withdraw. And it was really tense for a country like that to have so many troops creating some form of stability to leave. 
And the consensus was that Afghanistan would potentially be a bloodbath if the U.S. left, and yet it wasn't our role to stay there forever. Yeah. And I was being walked down the hall to my desk or what I thought was my desk. And one thing that I wrote about in my book was that moment where you kind of get where you always worked to get. And for me, it was such a gift to be able to get my dream. Like I wanted to be Carrie in Homeland. I wanted to catch Osama bin Laden. Like that's what I wanted to do. And to get so close to my dream at such a young age, it's like, I see now why so many like celebrities, for example, they have a breakdown because I think what happens is you hustle, you think you want to be somewhere, you, you, you're chasing a goal, but really you're just chasing a feeling. You're just chasing how you think the goal is going to feel. And then some people spend 10, 20 years trying to get there. And once they get there, it doesn't feel the way they thought it would. And of course they have this epic breakdown because it's like, what have they even been working for? And so for me, it was a blessing. I got to the Pentagon and I got my dream early and this guy pointed me to my desk, but it wasn't a desk. It was a chair. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting in the chair and saying, well, where's my desk? Like, I can't write on my laptop, on my knees, like, where's my desk? And he, he made a joke that, you know, things like, you know, working with him is going to be a lot like being in Afghanistan because I'm a girl. I need to earn my desk. Oh my God. And, you know, I just remember thinking to myself, like, there's got to be more for me. And I also, I don't think I had the mindset at the time to realize maybe this was just this guy. And that's something I learned early on that I teach now is that there's really two dynamics in anybody's career. There's the what of what you're doing. There's the skill set you're using, how you're harnessing your energy throughout the day. And then there's the how of how you're operating. And given that we know 50% of people leave their job because they don't like their boss, what we know is that how your job looks matters just as much as what your job is. Mm -hmm. And that guy on my first day was just a part of how my job was going to look. And so the how was off. And I think the how of your job and your career is tied to your values. It's tied to the non-negotiable principles by which you live your life, by which you, you know, you hold dearly. And I also think the what was off, you know, I remember going into that job thinking, oh my gosh, I love writing. I love words. They're going to have me write intelligence reports. But what I realized in retrospect, and and even the work in my book, you probably saw I wrote about the 10 different core skill sets that I think exist in the workforce. Yeah. I want to talk through those in a minute too, for sure. Yeah. So I'm the words core skill set, and and we can definitely go through those. I think those are helpful. And what I didn't realize was at the Pentagon, I was actually being expected to operate out of analysis, Mm. which is a totally different core skill set. You know, I'm more of a poet. I'm not an analyst. And for me to put my creative writing self into a role of writing intelligence reports, that was a much more analytical, robotic role. And it was just a misunderstanding of myself. And I think most people are just a couple millimeters off in their career because they misunderstand themselves. I think that's exactly right. It's making me think about, you know, I kind of just mentioned that you pick your major when you're 18, but I went to a school that didn't offer the career that I'm in currently, or, and I just didn't even know that was an option. And so I did what I think a lot of people do, which is find the next best, best thing. I was like, Oh, I love to communicate with people. I love communication. So I did mass communications, public relations, finished my degree, got all that moved to Nashville to do that job and just 
hated the actual job. Like I did the over, I knew the overall piece of, I love to communicate and I love to connect, but just like what you're saying, the how, the why, all of that was off in that position yeah. for me. So I think that happens to a lot of people because one, we do the best we can. Like, you're just like, oh, I got to pick a major. Um, but then two, I don't think we ask ourselves the right questions as far as what our values are. I love the skill sets. I want to talk through that. Um, so what if you find yourself or what if people are listening right now and they find themselves in this position that you kind of found yourself in where everything is off. You think you're in your dream career and you eventually end up leaving that job. Right. But so what if people find themselves in these positions, you call that a U-turn, a Y-O-U-turn. So can you tell people kind of what happened to you in that part of your journey? And then also what a U-turn is? Yeah, I love that. So I feel like a lot of people are very reactive and we're like pendulums in our career and in a lot of ways, our lives. Like we've all had the girlfriend or the guy friend who's dating some guy who's like in a band and it's it, there's something going on where maybe the relationship is not stable because the person's always traveling and then they break up and they go date somebody who like never leaves their house and is like the most stable person ever. Right. We're all pendulums. And so I think there's two things at play when you don't like what you're doing. And it's really important to be able to diagnose what those are. Yeah. So we talked about the what, your skills and the how, you know, how your job looks, your values. Usually um, people who are low on energy in their work, they're just usually just kind of low on purpose. It's not, mm. usually they think, oh, I'm so unmotivated. It's like, well, if you give that person some purpose, they feel alive with what they're doing. Suddenly they become this well of energy. And so I think the first thing is like me at the Pentagon, are you working outside of your core skill set? And we could talk about those. And then the second thing is, are your core values? Because there, there's two sensations when it comes to core values. The first feeling in your career is this gnawing feeling of like something's missing. Like it's decent. I'm making, you know, I'm making a living and I'm I'm stimulated most days, but something isn't, I feel like there's something more for me. That's yeah. one sensation. Okay. The other one is a lot more visceral. It's I'm miserable. Yeah. I need to like, I, I hate this. And what that usually is, if you're not, you know, if it's not a skill set issue, it's that perhaps you're violating one of your core values in your job. And mm. that can look like if you value integrity and you're selling something you don't believe in, that's going to create visceral pain. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's the first thought. I think the second thought is, you know, we're often just a couple millimeters off. And like I'm saying, you know, for me at the Pentagon, I love writing and I ended up in analysis. That's just a misunderstanding and of, of my skill set. And in, I could have easily been reactive and, and maybe I was at the time and said, you know, I'm not meant for writing anything anymore, you know, because I yeah. was in that analysis mind space, but it's like really being careful that we're not reactive. And I think there's this period that we all exist in, in between purposes where a lot of damage can happen, where we hold on to something because we feel groundless and we want to mm -hmm. have ground, but our decision to just grab for something often, we're going to have to undo that if it's really not true for ourselves. And one thing I've kind of discovered with this concept of U-turn, which I think making a U-turn is that critical moment of self-honesty, that critical moment of transformation where you realize you've gone off course. Yeah. And instead of just choosing a different path, you need to come home to yourself. And instead of saying, I need clarity out there, I need information out there, 
you come back to yourself, you reconnect to yourself. And what that looks like is doing things, going places, being with people that make you, you, that make you feel alive. In my case, it's going to the ocean, putting my feet in the sand. It's a couple girlfriends I have. It's Paris. If I can travel, like certain places bring me back to me. And when I'm me, I get so much clarity because I'm so in touch with what feels expansive and what feels like my stomach is sinking, what feels like a no and what feels like a yes. And, you know, one thing I talk about in my TED talk is how the gut, which is now called the second brain, has 200 million neurons, which is the size of a cat or dog's brain. It's so, there's such an intelligence to butterflies in our stomach, to a sinking feeling in our stomach. And we haven't been taught to simply trust those feelings. Mm. And so I think there, there's a lot and there's also not a lot at play when you don't like your work. Usually it's quite as simple as you're working out of the, the wrong core skill set. One of your core values is being violated or you're not listening to your body. There's a certain feeling and it's demanding you to make a YOU turn to come back home to yourself. Mm. And, you know, I realize now through my work that there's three lily pads, really. The first one is... I don't like what I do and I don't want to figure out what's next because it's too inconvenient. I don't want to deal with it. It feels scary. And a lot of people hang out there and that's okay. The second lily pad is kind of where I try to get people with my book and my podcast, anything I put out there. And that is my message of don't just follow your passion and do what you love. Do what you are. Figure out who you are. Figure out where you're gifted And when you can hop onto that second lily pad, which is truly what my book is written for, is to get somebody at least there, you get into a current. It's like a river current Mm -hmm. where you're working in a zone of genius. You're working in a zone of your gifts. And people notice it because it's actually quite challenging to do the own self-work and reflection to get onto that lily pad. Figuring out who you are, being happy, it's inconvenient. It yeah. requires a lot of honesty. Yeah. It requires a lot of undoing and unraveling. It's painful. So if you're willing to get to that second lily pad, you get into the river current of working where you're gifted and people start noticing you. People start seeing like, oh, wow, that girl's really good at words. Like, did you see that, you know, marketing brochure she did? If you're in PR, did you see that email she wrote? Or if she's in HR, maybe she's a communications doing internal communications you know, wow, she's just okay at fielding resumes. But did you see the email she's writing? People are so moved by how she's, you know, connecting. That's when you start to move into your skill set. People mm-hmm. see you and you get opportunities on the sidelines. So this idea of the sidelines again comes up. And when you are able to sift, because life is a numbers game, your career, your love life, it's all a sifting process. When you're able to sift, and say yes to opportunities, when you're willing to fail and fall on your face, try things on, hold your career more lightly and be in an experiment. What happens is you start to take opportunities that help you go up, that help your soul ascend in some way where you're truly working in an area and in a lens where you're gifted. And when you start accepting those opportunities, you get the chance and not everyone can get there. To go from the gift, the lily pad of your gift, the second one, to the third one, which is your dharma. And this book, writing this book for me was my first taste 
of dharmic work, of doing something that is so much bigger and deeper than me, that is beyond money, that is beyond time, that is beyond this world. And as I was writing this book, it was like an emptying and tears were streaming down my face on so many occasions. And I felt like my head was just open to a portal. And my wish for anyone who's listening to this show would be for them to get themselves the opportunity, whether they read my book and want to or not, to just get into where they're gifted Mm -hmm. so that they have a shot at experiencing that type of purpose. Yeah. And I love in the book when you say what you resist gets louder because- That is, that's kind of sums up exactly. I think what a lot of the stuff you just said is we can try to kind of push down our actual skills, our values, that's whatever it is. But if you find yourself in the reactive place, which I've found myself multiple times where my body, it's like my body knows something before my head can wrap my mind around it, you know, and it just, you cannot escape those types of things. I just don't think you can. Yeah. And it's, it kind of reminds me of Romeo and Juliet. It's like two lovers that can't be together. That's the loudest thing in the room. Like that's beyond an elephant in the room. That's a stampede in the room. And and it's the same with yourself. It's like, and I think a lot of people are in that who are creative. Like I grew up hearing the term struggling with the word writer and Mm. I've made an incredible living being a writer. And even though a lot of my work doesn't look like it's the work of a writer. Like if I make a video, I write scripts for a lot of my videos. Like I'll be a YouTube channel. It's all words. And so it's really about locking in with that skill and being able to translate it into what you're doing. Yeah. So in the book, you really break down how people can get there. And there's the core nature, the core skill set, and the core values. And that's the three things that you really challenge us to ask ourselves about ourselves to get to know ourselves better. And so I want to kind of go through those because that's the part that I've been spending so much time on, like I was telling you, and it's been actually interesting to me how much I could not answer some of the questions. Like I was like, I don't know, I don't know this about myself. And it's made me really think just about, you know, what I actually find my joy in, what comes easy to me. Those are the things that really, really stood out to me because I think we all have passions. I think we all have things we like, but just like you said earlier, you know, you can have as many degrees as you want, but there are things that we are just born being good at. And so knowing those things about ourselves. So let's start with core nature, just because that's the way you laid it out in the book. Can you tell people what core nature is? Yeah. And and even what you're sharing, by the way, is really this concept I also share in the book of being a producer versus being a consumer. Mm -hmm. There's a big difference between I love consuming cupcakes and being a producer of it. I'm going to be a baker or I love fashion. I'm going to be a designer. Right. You know, I I love movies. I'm going to be an actress. It's there's a difference. And the discrepancy is really about knowing what your gifts are. And it is really hard to know what's easy for you because it's so obvious that I think we're wired to assume it's obvious to everyone else. Right. And it's not. I love that point in the book. Yeah. Yeah. And I relate to that a lot. It reminds me of relationship research. I was reading a book on marriage and it was talking about how your friends statistically know if your relationship is going to last better than the couple because they're neutral parties and they're just watching you and they have no self-interest in it working out other than your happiness. I think it's the same thing with your career in a way. It's like, we don't really know where we're gifted because we're just busy doing what we do. And 
it's when we can ask for feedback from other people that we start to learn more about ourselves. And it's not about borrowing other people's insights or advice and not trusting yourself. And it's about consulting with people and then checking back in with yourself and asking people that you do feel have a good pulse of who you are. So the concept of core nature for me is about your essence. It's about how you feel when you walk into the room. And I write about in my book how, because I learned a lot of these concepts in retrospect at the Pentagon. And, you know, 10 years later, when I wrote this book, it was really me making sense of all these moments in my life to serve other people and making sense of their lives and their careers. And I remember at the Pentagon finding this mentor, her name was Jeanette. And well, that's actually not her name, but that's what I call her in the book just to protect her. But she was this beautiful energy. And I remember her supporting me and being a mirror to me and reflecting back what she saw in me because my worthiness felt so low at the Pentagon Mm. and it wasn't anybody else's reason, but mine that it was that way. It wasn't anybody's fault. And I remember she came up to me and she said, you are communicative, you're bold, you're wise, you're funny. She used all these adjectives to describe me when I was really feeling low about not having a desk and not feeling good enough. And she had been in in that role at the Pentagon for a while, and it meant a lot. She said those things to me. And she said, that's your essence. And I remember thinking, yeah, those words do feel like who I actually am. And I'm just not being those words when I don't feel safe to be me. Mm. You know, when I'm in a room and I don't feel like people are going to receive me, I get really quiet. I get the opposite of who I actually am. It's just a coping mechanism. And we all have different coping mechanisms. And that's something I also talk about a lot in the book is, you know, sometimes when we're in our coping mechanism, it becomes like a full-time job. So for me... I go into quietness or I go into anxiety and that distracts me from actually having to deal with the thing that I'm dealing with at hand. Yeah. And my core nature was really what I unlocked there at the Pentagon through her feedback. And it was good for me to realize when I'm not in those words, I need to start asking questions. Is it the environment? Is it that the job is demanding me to be someone else, to be in a different energy? So I would advise anybody who's listening to just ask people in their lives that they trust. It could be a colleague. That's always a really good one in a workspace. It could be a friend. It can be, uh, you know, your parents, Mm -hmm. but just ask them, how does the room change when I walk in? What's different? Mm -hmm. And honestly, Kelly, like even just getting on this podcast or even emailing with you, you have a nurturing presence. You have a Mm -hmm. softness. You seem sensitive, Um, You have a lot of feminine energy, like in my experience, which is actually quite impressive because I feel like, you know, having read that you've worked in television and PR, like that is a profession that demands masculine energy sometimes, like pushing your way through people who eat nails for breakfast, you know? (laughs) So that's probably why those careers did not work out for me. (laughs) Yeah, but that's something to celebrate. Like when something doesn't work for you, that is liberating. And I think where people suffer is they're just like, they don't want to respect Mm. who they are. They don't want to honor their nature and say, these adjectives are me and they don't mesh with this path. Mm -hmm. And if you don't honor that, you're going to suffer. And I think your core nature is 
the foundation of your career. It's, it's, it's the, the ground that you stand on. So if I look at my core nature of being, you know, communicative and funny and I didn't, and you knew nothing else about me. I knew nothing else about me. Bold. I would say maybe this person's a talent agent or a real estate or just somebody who's bold and funny and using, using their ability to people it up and connect with people to turn it into money and opportunities, not because they have an agenda, but because it's who they are. It's just what happens as a thing on the sideline of them being them. And so I would say your core nature is a starting place and asking people, how does the room change when I walk in? And then taking those adjectives. And I love texting people because it allows you to read the feedback and not just hear what they said. And it kind of passes through your ears and, and to reflect. So that's the first concept that I talk about. If you know anything about me, you know I am a massive creature of comfort. It is one of my top priorities in life to make my surroundings comfortable at all times. So when I found Cozy Earth, I quickly scooped up all of the luxurious bedding and loungewear that I could. It felt very on brand for me, but then I went on a trip with a girlfriend not too long ago where she could not stop commenting on how cute and comfy my pajamas were, which then made me realize they may also be my new favorite travel companion as well. Guys, I am not kidding when I say you will experience unmatched softness and smoothness with all of Cozy Earth's products. The temperature-regulating bamboo joggers and pullover crew add comfort and a touch of style to any travel ensemble, and their bedding comes in the most adorable totes, making it a super easy gift to give anyone. Discover your next destination for ultimate comfort at Cozy Earth. Visit CozyEarth.com and use our code VELVETSEDGE at the checkout for an exclusive 35% off and let them know we sent you when you're at the checkout. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast, 
on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. It's so true about hearing the words when someone describes you to you and it resonates. I mean, what I, I asked my mom and I asked one of my best friends those questions that you have in the book. And when I said the question about um, what am, what is what shifts in the room when I walk in, they both responded with there's more love in the room when you walk in. And yeah. it made me start sobbing, you know, and I could cry right now. Even what you just said about me, um, it just yeah, it hits me in the gut and makes me emotional because, and that to me communicates that it's true. And that yeah. is who I actually am. Even if it's not always how I present myself to the world or feel like I should present myself to the world. Like what you're talking about with the certain industries I was in, I would try to adopt more of a masculine nature and it just did not work for me. Like yeah. I would feel like my life is falling apart in some capacities because you know, maybe the job went away or whatever, and it can feel so scary. But the more I'm getting into accepting myself as I am, the more I'm like, oh, no wonder that didn't work. And what a gift that it was actually taken away because now I can shift into something that is true to my soul. Yes. Yes. And I think also that's the thing about the truth is, and that's something I write about in the book. And I really hope to get out as a message. Like I was in a relationship for five years and I don't write about this in my book, but really good guy. And I called off our wedding. We were engaged Mm -hmm. because something in me just didn't feel like it was right. And the thing about that was that for months, as we were planning the wedding, I had so much anxiety Mm -hmm. and there's an anxiety to not being in alignment with who you are in some way or not making decisions that match your nature. Yeah. And when I finally stopped that inner child inside of me that was kicking and screaming and anxious when I finally listened and I got into the truth and I was just deeply honest with myself. I just looked in the mirror and said, I don't think this is the person I want to spend my life with. And he's a really good guy. And I don't know why. Mm. I just don't think this is what I want. And it was like this weird moment where all the anxiety disappeared. Mm. And the thing about the truth is it can be so sad and painful to look at it and say, this is the truth. But the sooner you're willing to get there and feel the sadness, even according to the field of psychology, the suffering you'll feel in the sadness is so much shorter term than the suffering you feel in denial. Because yes. you push, it's like pushing down a beach ball under the ocean yeah. and you just don't allow yourself to be where you're at, to be mm-hmm. who you are. And my wish for anyone is to cut the shit sooner, like get to the truth sooner, be more bold. And I think a lot of people are suffering because they actually do know who they are. And sometimes Mm -hmm. as I was writing the book, I almost just wanted to call a chapter or even the whole damn book. You already know, like that's what I wanted to call. Cause I think in the corners of all of our minds somewhere, there's a knowing And then we just live in anxiety because we know what we know all day long and we just try to unknow it because it's inconvenient, because we don't think we can make money doing that thing, because our survival mechanisms, which are eons old from being hunter-gatherers, like our desire to be in um, tribe, to be in connection for people to like us, it used to be wired 
for our survival, we needed a tribe. Um, so to get approval from people, that's like wired in our cells to survive and make money and to be liked and to look good. It's in our cells. Mm. It's our survival. So I think listening to the truth can feel very threatening for that. I agree with that, but I love what you pointed out about knowing, you know, we do know, and when you actually accept your truth, as sad as it can be, it's also one of the most peaceful moments like that I've ever experienced. And even if that can mean a relationship ending, like you're saying, or maybe leaving a career, if you just know inside of your gut, that's not the right thing. It can be scary. It can be sad, but you also, if it's your truth, feel so at peace knowing it's the right way. Yeah, definitely. And and I think that coming home to yourself and this mm-hmm. idea of making a U-turn is is really that key decision that anybody makes and you have to make that decision. And that's why on the dedication page of my book, it says who you are on Monday has nothing to do with who you can be by Friday mm-hmm. because in any moment we can change our life. We can make a decision to make that that change. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about core skill sets. So You say when we face failure, we usually tell ourselves there's something wrong with us or that we're not capable, but that's just not the case. The reality is that this sort of failure is just feedback telling us it's time to reconnect to our core and make a U-turn. So this is really the challenge of getting to know what your actual core skill set is, because it can be like what you said about the, you know, the baker, you could love eating cupcakes, but maybe you're not supposed to be a baker in your life. So can you talk us through the skill sets? Yeah. So I discovered in my past decade of career coaching and and putting content out there that there's a 10, pretty much 10 core skill sets that I believe exist in the workforce, whether you're in corporate or you're an entrepreneur. And they're not just skill sets, they're kind of energies is the way okay. that I think about them because it's how you're using your energy too. Um, the first one's innovation. So for, I guess, our note takers, my podcast has so many note takers. I feel like yours must too. Yeah. So too. yeah. Um, innovation. So that one is for the intrapreneur, the creative self-starter, or the entrepreneur, the person who created the idea. So okay. the intrapreneur is within a company. And I think the decision of whether you work for a company or you're that highly creative person or you're a business owner usually has to do with your relationship to freedom mm-hmm. and also, and that that's on many levels. So that can mean a lot of entrepreneurs, I think they want all out creative freedom. They want the freedom to come up with their idea. They want the freedom to work when they want to work um, versus entrepreneurs. They might not need that. Yeah. Okay. Also financial risk. I think the entrepreneurs like staying in corporate for them is so much more painful than the financial Mm -hmm. risk of risking it all. And I think intrapreneurs, they have a relationship to financial risk where that's not going to work for them. Usually they're motivated by commission or something like that. Not always, but these are the high level visionaries that are solving problems in the world. And the second core skill set is the builders. So these are people in building energy. So it can be construction workers, you know, quite literal, or it can be more of a metaphor, like somebody who's designing a website, building a website. And the third core skill set I talked about was me at the Pentagon was words. And this skill set brings up the question of, are you an introvert or are you an extrovert? Because if you're an introvert, the way you harness that skill set is going to be very internal. So I'm a little bit more of a loner deep down. Like 
I'm really happy at a coffee shop and I do a lot of keynotes, like especially before COVID and you wouldn't know, like I am, my smile is on and I'm, I am having a good time, but my battery is like starting to go down to zero yeah. by the end of an event, even though I love it. And I sleep in my hotel room for like 24 hours after an event because wow. I'm such an introvert. So I would say knowing if you're an introvert or an extrovert is super important because you might get so far through this podcast episode, through reading my book, whatever, of saying this is my core skill set. But then from there, it's like, if I'm an introvert and I'm a salesperson, because that's how I'm choosing to use words, I'm going to be miserable because I'm tired because it's demanding me to use my skill set with a level of energy that doesn't match how I operate in the world. So I say, ask yourself this question for all of these core skill sets, whichever one you are, like, am I more internal? Am I more external? Um, Can you be both? Yeah. There's a lot of research on being an ambivert and that also plays out. That also plays out in asking yourself, like, what jobs am I looking at? What kind of business do I want to start? So if I'm an ambivert, if I do sometimes really thrive in social scenarios, which I do, but I also need time alone to recharge, yeah, that just means I'm not going to be the speaker who's on 300 stages a year. Like I have colleagues who do that. I, that's too far. So you okay. still need to use it to kind of modulate yourself. Yeah. I feel confused because I am an empath. And so... <laughs> I love being around people and especially if it's a positive energy, I absorb that and it gives me so much energy, but then I can also get really sucked dry. If I'm picking up on too many people's emotions, if it's a very, uh, just like a feeling situation where I'm picking up other energies all the time, I'm like you, I could go sleep for a day by myself and that would be the only way to actually recharge. Yeah. I, I think that's why like I have, I'm an empath as well. And I think a lot of empaths, we have anxiety because it's incredibly anxiety inducing to walk into the room and feel what people are feeling. And it's, and that's a skill, like that's a skill that can be used, you know, like, uh, and, and that is actually part of what got me wanting to be a spy was, can I use my ability to connect with Mm. people and feel people to, for a good cause. Yeah. And later I realized, no, this, I am so sensitive. I can't do this. Yeah. And so it was a misunderstanding as well, but I would say, um, empaths, it's kind of like I, I write about in the book where we're driving and sometimes we have a mucky windshield and our mucky windshield is our stuff. It's our limiting beliefs. It's our personality traits that maybe are happening by default and not by design. Maybe mm-hmm. they're personality traits we got from our upbringing or from our, our origins where it's a coping mechanism that we learn to be a certain way. And it, it makes it hard for us to drive through life. Yeah. And that's part of making a U-turn is cleaning off that windshield. And I would say if being an empath is on your windshield and it's not muck, but it's definitely it's a gift that has to be harnessed. I would say a lot of the work with that and for anybody listening who identifies as an empath is to work on your, your, your kind of your psychic protection. Okay. Like how do you commit to putting that kind of like energetic astronaut suit on so that when you are in a war, a room of people who feel like they're sucking on your energy, you can protect your energy and you can have energetic boundaries around you Um, that takes work. Um, there's a lot of books. I think there's one called psychic protection that helps with that. And that's been work for me as a career coach. Like in my practice, I've worked with 
all sorts of different engagements, whether I'm doing spokesperson work, which luckily for me being a spokesperson now at SoFi, they're like the nicest group of people I've ever worked with, but that's not always the case. And when I'm in a corporate engagement, if I feel that it's been so much work for me to put energetic boundaries around myself. And so I would say it's so important to work on that for all of us, because that keeps us from our purpose sometimes, because Mm. if these people are sucking our energy in a way, they're robbing us um, of opportunities and we don't want to be victims of that. So it's like, Mm. how do we put on the spacesuit and still honor our skill set, still honor our nature. And granted, if you're in an industry where pretty much everybody is requiring you to put on that spacesuit all the time, it's probably the wrong industry. But mm. I would say kind of finding that that line is so important for everyone, if that makes sense. Totally. That makes total sense to me. I'm going to go get that book like tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a really good one. <sighs> and, and I think... Um, I, and I think a lot of visualization, like when I walk into a room where I feel like, whoa, um, these are, these feel like sharks to me. Like, I feel like, I feel like a refrigerator and they're about to take the food out. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, I just, I visualize myself walking into a spacesuit and zipping it up and I feel a boundary between me and them. And I picture their vibes bouncing off of my spacesuit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, innovation, building words, all of these matter with, um, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. And I think harnessing, whether you're an empath, that's a really good question. Nobody's ever asked me that. And it's so true. Um, and then the fourth one's motion. So that could be quite literally like a tour guide on their feet all day, a fitness trainer. There's a gift to being able to just be out and in motion. Yes. Um, and even hairstylist, you know, like, I think you're, you're on your feet. It could be a different core skill set. And this is actually something really interesting. Another core skill set in my book is beauty, which could Mm -hmm. also be a hairstylist. And so I think what you have to realize is that people reside in different core skill sets. Each skill set doesn't define every job title. You can have one job title and many different skill sets. So for example, you can, somebody can be a hairstylist and they can be pretty good at it because they like to be on their feet all day. They like to be out. They could also be a hairstylist because they're a true artist and they value beauty. It, you know, somebody could be a psychologist and be really good at words. And that's how they heal people. They put words to what somebody is experiencing versus other psychologists are kind of like that other skill set I mentioned at the Pentagon analysis, mm-hmm. where their gift is in analyzing and, and sharing what they're seeing through that way. Maybe their words aren't poetic and emotional and spiritual for that person, but the way that they analyze somebody, they're able to heal someone. So it's not to say that these skill sets lock you in to one job. It is to say that they're the energy you reside in. They're how you can make your money best. They're how you can make an impact best. And they're probably how I would say you want to use 70 to 80% of your time in your work. So after innovation, building words and motion is service. Mm. These are the people pleasers. Mm. Um, sometimes if they're in their wounding, they're the supporters, the nurturers, the helpers when they're at their best. And I would say a good question for this person and any person is, is this coming from wounding or inspiration? Like, are you a service person because you grew up in a house where you needed to be a people pleaser as a coping mechanism to exist Mm -hmm. in your family unit? Or are you a helper? And it could be both. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just important to know. And I think asking that question of, are you wounded or inspired with all of these skill sets is super important. Um, 
And the sixth one is coordination. That's my, I mean, thank God for the coordinators. Like this is my least skill set. Same. (laughs) The detail oriented, like cross the T's, dot the I's, like the wedding planners, you know, everybody good at coordinating. And then we talked about analysis, the researchers, the analysts, numbers is number eight. So, and they're not ranked in any particular order. I just, you know, have them written down, but you know, the number crunchers, the bookkeepers, the investment bankers. Number nine is technology. These are the artificial intelligence creators, the tech troubleshooters, tech whizzes. And then number 10, we talked about is beauty. And this could be a lot of things. This could be a jewelry designer, a makeup artist, a hairstylist, a musician. Um, Mm -hmm. It's the artists. It's the true artists who make art of the world around them. So these are the 10 and kind of on the note we talked about with core nature asking people is always really powerful. So I would recommend anyone as they're reflecting on these, and I'm sure people, you know, resonate with two or three of them. Ask somebody in your life, your colleagues, you know, when have you seen me at my best? And I think when you can ask people that you can start to look at what core skill set am I using, especially in the workforce, mm-hmm. when people think I'm making a real impact and I'm at my best. And, and what, where do I think I'm at my best? So, how many skill sets do we each have? Can you have more than one? I find a lot of people tend to have three core skill sets, okay. but the number one one is what matters the most significantly. Like okay. out of a skill of a hundred, like your core skill set is like a 10 out of 10, you know, hundred out of a hundred. That's the one that matters. I think your secondary and your tertiary one, those are just something to consider. They're interesting. They're good to know. Um, and, and they do kind of have a fun blend. So if you take a motion person who's a fitness trainer and their secondary skill set is innovation, they're probably going to create like a fitness training app or something like that. And yet your secondary skill set doesn't dictate how you're going to spend your day. That's really your primary skill set. And it takes a lot of time, energy, and commitment to have mastery. And so I really think honing in on that one gift is where the ROI truly is in your career. Okay. That's so interesting because, and maybe I'll schedule a session with you individually to work through this because I'm like very confused about my skill sets, but I I resonated with three and uh, analysis was an interesting one. I've never thought about for myself, but especially because like, I'm not an analyst in the way that I want to just, you know, read a bunch of facts about random. I don't know the stuff you were talking about in the Pentagon, like that doesn't appeal to me at all. However, when it comes to what people, why people do what they do, I mean, I could read and read and read, and I'm so curious. Like, I'm just like this endless, bottomless pit of just wanting to know more information and understand and all of those things. And so that was the one that kind of threw me. And then the words piece and then beauty. So I was like, wait, because they all play into what I do now. But um, I think you're right that one of them probably is the thing that just comes the easiest to me that I don't really have to work at. I actually didn't realize I was good at like the words and communicating piece of it until recently. I thought everyone was just able to do that. No. Like, you yeah. Know I, yeah. And that's, exactly. those are the things that like with the beauty stuff, I have to work at that. I'm constantly taking classes. I'm, you know, but it's a part of me and there's a part of me that sees it. Um, but the things that really resonated that you say were just the things that you think everyone does. And I've started to realize I'd be told by people in my life, Hey, you're really good at that. And I'm like, wait, what? Like that's, yeah. a, that's a thing, you know, which that's is gold. so, yeah. It's so fascinating. 
Yeah. And I think in order to really get that clarity, your career is really an iterative process, you know, and whenever I'm looking for more clarity, I want to have more conversations because conversations are where magic happens. Conversations is where you learn new information. And if you're trying to get clarity and you're listening to this or thinking about this, it's like, who can you talk to today that could give you some insight that can move your mind forward? Um, and, and so I think in your case, it's like those conversations and yeah. our gold nuggets, like people being like, you're so good at this. And I just think life, life is beautiful, but it can be hard sometimes. Yeah. And why would we make it harder? Because we like a skill set so much that we want to push a river or push a mountain and force ourselves to be because in every skill set, there are people who are at the best at, in, when they're in that skill set. They are gifted. They're in genius level with that. I skillset. think you can see that, right? Yeah. It's just like someone is just so naturally good at it that it's like, wow, it's wow. Like, oh, yeah. You have just this like shock and awe thing happening. Yeah. And there is a form of like nature versus nurture. I think all that research is really insightful. And I still think going where you're gifted is such a more inspiring way to live your life. Mm. And it, it just depends on the person. But for me, I just love, I love ease. And actually some people love challenges and mm. that's, that's fine, but I like life to be easy. And, you know, I think being in my zone of genius is just one of many ways to really give yourself permission. And, and that's the thing, actually, I think a lot of people don't just need to figure out what they want to do. A lot of people actually know, like we were talking about, they just need permission to yeah. know what they know and be who they want to be and do what they want to do. And, and some, sometimes the permission is letting your career be experimental. Like we really struggle to be experimental with our career. It feels risky to say, I'm going to go try this job on that I think is right but maybe it's not. And people really get in their head about it, but it's like, follow what feels good. That's a muscle you flex. That's a pattern that you commit to. And that puts you on that second lily pad we talked about from, because there's a journey between the two. There's a journey between, I don't know what I want to do and I don't want to find out. And I know what my gift is. Those two lily pads require so much iteration. And if you talk to any of the world's best thinkers, um, movers and shakers, people who have started businesses that have changed the world, especially, they just have a really nice conversation in their head going on about failure because Mm. they couldn't have survived. They couldn't have created what they created unless they held failure lightly and they held their career as an experiment. It's just too hard. It hurts too much. Yeah. I love that point. Because I always really get stuck on the failures, you know, and, and then I internalize it, as you say in the book about something's wrong with me versus like, no, 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 that just wasn't in line with my skill sets or maybe my values, which let's talk about that now. Let's get to core values because you can be operating in your skill set, right? And bump up against something that does not line up with your values. Yeah. And so then that becomes a problem. Yeah. So the thing about core values is I think everybody has maybe five And now that we kind of talked about core skill set, that's the what, how you spend your day, what your energy and responsibilities look like. When you go over to your core values, that's the how, that's the container in which you're working. And I think every having more than five core values makes things really tough. And it's really important to know what core values include, you know, and there's a list in the book, but family, balance, integrity, authenticity, humor, fun, Mm. uh, friendship, connection, you know, um, culture, like whatever those values are for you, wellness, balance. 
And it's so important to know what those words are for you and not just what those words are for you, but what they mean to you. Because I had a client a while back and he was a lawyer in New York and I said, what's a value for you? And he said adventure. And then I had another woman in Miami and she said adventure. And when I asked the guy, he's like, my core, you know, adventure for me means skydiving and like adrenaline. And for her, she's like trying new restaurants. And it was just like, oh my gosh. And we actually do this in our love life. We're like, we have the same values. Like we both are Christian, for example, but there's a big difference between somebody who is Christian and wants to go to church every single day and someone who's Christian. And that means that they celebrate Christmas. So it's like so important to understand how these core values play out for ourselves on all levels. And Mm -hmm. I think they show up in our career and in our lives. So for a lot of us, we know we're in a core value when we are in pain when we're not getting it. And I think the, the mistake people make is they pick core values that are aspirational. They pick words like, for example, I had a client who said a, a value of hers was peace. And I'm like, man, you're not that peaceful. Like, yeah. you're, And she's like, yeah, you're right. That's just something I want to be more of. And I'm like, that's great information, but it's not your core value. And so I think picking words that are the key ingredients of who you are, and it's different than your core nature. Your nature is your energy you bring to the room. Your values are what you hold dearly. It's really different. And so for me, a value is self-expression. Like, Mm. and you'll see that in everything I do. Like you're reading my book right now. You see, like I am emptying myself out in that book. Everything I know, everything I feel, everything I have to share. It's all self-expression. Um, And at the end of the book, uh, you haven't finished yet, but you'll see that it wins. Like that core value dictates my decisions. Um, The second core value I have is humor, which I feel like I'm being very serious on this podcast, (laughs) but I'm a character and I know it and I get it from my dad. Like he's insane. And Mm -hmm. if, 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 and here's how I know it's a core value. If somebody comes over and we're hanging out for a couple hours and I don't do anything funny or say something silly, people will think something's wrong. Like, like, oh, are you okay? Like you seem very not yourself. You seem so serious. Yeah. And so it's, that's how I know this is my core value. And so I think having a list of core values, whether you look at one of my book or you Google it on the internet and you have conversations with your friend, I think talking to a friend of like circling, maybe your top 10 and trying to narrow it down and talk about what they mean to you and get feedback from your friend of, do you see me honoring this core value? Do you see me living this out is a really powerful conversation to have. When I was reading that part of the book, so much about relationships was coming into my mind. I mean, any kind of relationship, friendships, work relationships, love relationships, because I think so many times, if you, especially like, I don't, I didn't really, I don't really know still what all of my core values might be, but it kind of dawned on me that any sort of fight I'm getting into or thing I'm bumping up against in a relationship is probably a misalignment of core values. And maybe even that I'm not able to express my need for certain things because I'm not aware. Like even when you were just describing the self-expression piece, I thought authenticity would be one of my core values, but it might be self-expression as I listen to that, like just hearing it's so important for me to say my truth to people, if, and especially the people I'm in close relationships with, and also to hear theirs because that's yeah. how I feel seen. That's how I feel like I know someone. Um, so yeah, it's just interesting. I've got a lot of it could also be intimacy, you know, or intimacy, or yeah, honesty, yeah, and, or it could be connection. Like that's yeah. one of my core values. And yeah. you know, kind of talking about earlier in this conversation, how I said I get quiet when I don't feel like my core nature is like 
welcome or there's space Mm. for it in a room, Mm -hmm. I get quiet. And it also comes back to my core values. Like if I don't feel like I can connect and, you know, I read a Ray Dalio's book principles. And one of the arguments he makes in the book is that authenticity allows you to be more effective because if somebody's not being authentic, you have to do like a whole monkey dance to like get through to them. And sometimes yeah. it can take hours, years, weeks, and it, it's just not that productive. Like yeah. you're trying to get through to someone. So I connection and authenticity are really deep values for me, whether they're my top five core values or not, they matter to me. And that's when I get really quiet because I'm so discouraged. It's so deep in the makings of who I am that I don't know what to do with people Mm -hmm. if I can't connect. And so I think it's good to notice like which ones change you, which ones influence you so deeply that you can't be you. It's good to take note of that as well. Yeah. Okay. I love that. I mean, there's so many things in this book. I had multiple aha moments. And as I told you earlier, I'm not even done yet. So I'm really excited to keep going. I do want people to go read it though. So I'm not going to ruin anything else. (laughs) The book is called U-Turn, Get Unstuck, Discover Your Direction and Find Your Dream Career. I also find a lot of these notes very helpful for relationships. So if people are bumping up against either, I think these are really important things to just learn about yourself to function in your life and build the life you want. I really do believe that. You also have a podcast called the U-Turn Podcast with Ashley Stahl. I was listening yesterday to the one with, um, I can't remember the lady's name, but y'all were talking about self-sabotage. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, so many things, right? Yeah. So many things that I just am unconsciously doing in my life that are sabotaging, you know, whether it's a relationship, a job, anything, it's so interesting what we do to ourselves if we have this unhealed trauma, but what other kind of things can people find on the podcast? Honestly, first of all, you're welcome on it anytime. It'd be I so would love fun. it. Yeah. And, um, I, my, some of my favorite guests so far on the show, there's a woman named Annie Lala and she's a love expert and I have her on twice. And there's also a love expert named Mark Groves and the love episodes seem to really be crushing it on the show. Okay. And those two, like your, my brain just can't even handle them. Like (laughs) they're so innovative, like the way both of them communicate Mark Groves and Annie Lala for anybody who checks out, they just say things I've never heard before. And it's so transformative. And then also um, Chris Harder, he came on and talked about money and and mindset with money. Um, There's a guy named David Nagel who talked about money. I just think there's, there have been, and then also Margaret Paul, she came on and talked about relationship with your mother and Mm. healing relationships with your mom and whoa, like that, that episode. So I just love that show. I feel like it's really just my free coaching hour with a bunch of experts you know? Yeah. yeah. And I try to ask questions that I know I'm deeply wondering. And I try to like check my ego at the door. Cause I know that if I'm falling apart with some, something, somebody else is. So absolutely. It yeah. seems very in line with kind of the stuff that we dig into on the Velvet's Edge podcast. So you guys go check it out. I feel like you would really enjoy what Ashley brings to the table there. Where else can people find you? I mean, if you guys are reading the book, it ships everywhere and it's at uturnbook.com. It's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N book.com. It's on Amazon, but sometimes if you're international, you have to find it there. And then I would say I'm on the Instagram webs, but I'm not like the yeah. best Instagrammer. I'm good at DMs. 
I'm good at the DMs, but I only post when I have a lot of feelings. Yeah. So if anybody sees me posting, it's because I'm feeling a lot that day. You're all in the feels, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As an empath, I know that can that can be up and down. It's totally different every day. I'm like, what am I going to feel like today? Who yeah. knows? Well, thank you so much for being here. I'd love to come on your podcast. Let's yeah. do it. Let's. That would Let's be a really it. fun conversation. Um, you guys go check out Ashley. It's is it at Ashley Stahl on Instagram? Yeah, it's S T A H L. Awesome. And go get the book. It's called U-Turn. Listen to the podcast. It's helping me a ton. So I know it'll help you guys too. Ashley, thanks so much for doing this. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Velvet's Edge podcast with Kelly Henderson, where we believe everyone has a little velvet and a little edge. Subscribe for more conversations on life, style, beauty, and relationships. Search Velvet's Edge wherever you get your podcasts. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results like more time and range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday.